Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Before we get started, I'm proud to say that we were nominated for a Webby Award. This podcast, nominated for a Webby Award, we're up for Best General Series Podcast in the News and Politics category. It's a big honor to be nominated. We're up against some really stiff competition. You can help us win the People's Voice Award in our category by voting online. To vote for us, you just go to vote.webbyawards.com and cast your vote by tomorrow. That's the deadline, April 21st. We'll place a link to vote in the episode description and on my social media channels. Thanks so much for your support. Now, let's get on with today's episode. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up. The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we are exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country as divided as this one. I'm Van Jones. You know, in a couple of days on April 22nd, we're going to be celebrating Earth Day. So we're going to bring you two weeks of conversation on climate change, starting right now with this conversation that I had with two uncommon, unlikely allies in the environmental movement. Now, as you know, climate change is one of the most divisive issues in our country today. I hate that it's true, but it is true. And despite its global impact, climate change is still contested here in the United States. We just don't have a consensus about you know what's causing it, what we're going to do about it. And so we haven't had as much forward motion. But even though we're having this debate in the U.S., climate change is a truly global issue. And last year, there was a big global summit in November. The United Nations Climate Change Conference is called COP. 26 in Glasgow, Scotland. Since uh, 1995, the UN's been bringing people together from almost every country in the world for these summits on an annual basis. And it was really important for me to go. I've heard about it. I wanted to be there. There were world leaders, there were government representatives, there were businesses, citizens, all kind of folks trying to figure out what to do. And I was happy to see that there were some conservative leaders who were there. MPs, members of parliament, and others who were there. And we're going to have a conversation today that underscores the importance of people on the right and the left coming together. Look, on the individual side, you you know, look, we got to recycle. We got to waste less stuff. We got to take more public transportation. If you can afford a solar panel or a Tesla, please do that. But at the end of the day, climate change is such a big issue that it's going to come down to government. It's going to come down to politics. It's going to come down to people who have campaigned against each other, who are in different political parties, eventually coming to the same table. And that's why I wanted to talk to two changemakers in the climate movement who I got a chance to talk with overseas at COP26, Benji Backer and Michelle Romero. Now, let me brag on each one in turn. Michelle runs programs at the Dream Corps, an organization I helped to get founded. And she's the former leader of an initiative there called Green for All. Her unlikely buddy, Benji, is the founder of the American Conservation Coalition. 
Now, you may not be able to tell by the names of this stuff, but I'll just reveal. Michelle is on the left and Benji is definitely on the right. And so they are pretty unlikely to come together, you would imagine. And yet, these two leaders have been able to work together and find common ground on an issue that they both care a lot about. Now, they may not have the same political beliefs, but they do want to live in a safe, clean, just, healthy world. They you know, don't want to live in a divisive, you know, screaming match culture every day. And because of these shared goals, they have been able to learn from each other and come together. What I think is so amazing about Benji and Michelle is that they've come together during one of the most contentious moments and periods, which is the last couple of years here in the U.S. And at the time when you know, people didn't really have much empathy for each other or compassion for each other really on either side. And I think what's so amazing is because these two became friends during a time when there was so much division in the past couple of years, whether you're talking about COVID, whether you're talking about the presidential election in the United States, they had to figure out a way to get to know each other as people first, and then they moved on to policy. So you're going to get a chance to learn how they did that. Hopefully they inspire more of us to do that. Uh, Stick around for my conversation with Benji and Michelle right after this short break. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We're here at, at COP26. You got people from all around the world. Every kind of human being ever born is here in one place trying to figure out how to save the world or if the world can be saved. And so I wanted to get everybody together to have a, an Uncommon Ground podcast with, with two very unlikely allies in this fight. Michelle, how did you meet Benji and why do you like him so much? I came to Green for All actually under the Obama administration, and we were really fighting for the clean power plan and climate reforms that would invest 
in the communities of color and low-income communities that have been hit by climate change so much. And when I saw the transition to the Trump administration and realized that everything that we'd been fighting for under one administration was being rolled back, uh, and I realized how politically divisive we were, I understood that if all we're doing every time the administration changes is taking one step forward and one step back, we're really not going anywhere. Mm. We're staying in the same spot. And so I realized there's an opportunity here to figure out how to depoliticize, just turn the temperature down a little bit on the politics in the United States so that we can start moving forward, even in baby steps, right, but together. And that would be progress. Even though I knew, I think, from a headspace that this was the right strategy to pursue as as a progressive, I was skeptical. I really was. And so as I started reaching out to conservative groups and finding, you know, Benji's group, the American Conservation Coalition has been doing incredible work with youth and young people on the right. Um, and to just see the energy that they have for for climate change, I realized, okay, there are some people on the right who are really passionate, who do want to make change. We maybe have more in common than we think. And as I got to know Benji, I mean, I just really got to know his heart, honestly. I mean, we were planning work and trying to build a coalition in the middle of COVID. Like we actually launched this work two weeks before COVID became a real thing. And so we were trying to build trust over Zoom calls um, and remotely and uh, and then through George Floyd and the racial justice uprisings. And so we've had a lot of, you know, just conversations around those things to get to know each other. And I've just come to really respect and admire him. So I think, I think it is important to point out, Michelle, came this decision about reaching out across these lines, but she reaches out to you in the middle of some of the most divisive moments in American politics, in the middle of a presidential election, a COVID, uprisings, et cetera, and yet somehow you guys were able to, 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 to bridge all of that. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to hear from Michelle and uh, why you like her so much. Yeah, well, first of all, I do, I do like her a lot. And the reason why bridge building was something that I've always wanted to do since we've met is that I got my divisiveness out at an early age. I was speaking at Tea Party rallies when I was like 12 years old, and I was saying the typical talking points that conservatives use, just like liberals use typical talking points. And the more you're inundated with that, the more you think the other side sucks. But I happen to be blessed with an amazing family who spans the political spectrum, and they kept me in check. And as I started to mature, I started to realize, wow, the political discourse nationally is not representative of the American people at all. It's it's what's best for TV or social media or whatever. It's, it's good for a headline, but it's not good for actual people, and it's not how they actually feel as a whole. And so that's why I created a right-of-center environmental organization was because I felt like the issue I cared the most about, climate change, was being unnecessarily polarized and partisan. And so a few years into it, you know, Michelle reaches out about just in general coming together on climate change, and we've done some some work on racial justice as well. But that sort of thing has really appealed to me ever since kind of getting that divisiveness out of my system and, and, and understanding that I, as a leader in my community, and everyone's a leader in their own personal community, could do something to depoliticize and make things less partisan than they need to be. Well, I, you know, I think that's key. But I think a lot of the uncommon ground uh, community is still probably more progressive than than not. And they might be shocked to hear there's even one conservative that cares about climate and that cares about these issues. So just from a conservative point of view, can you educate the uncommon ground community why conservatives do care and should care about climate? Absolutely. So Back in the mid-2010s, there was a poll done by Duke University that showed that 36% of Republicans 
believed in climate change, but when they were presented with a market-based alternative, it jumped to 70%. And that was in the mid-2010s. The reality is the conservatives don't dislike the planet or want climate change to happen, or maybe they even believe the science. They just don't like the solutions that they're perceiving from the left. And so instead of you know, running into the left and coming up with their own solutions, they're running the other way. And the politicians are largely to blame for that, for not being able to come up with a reasonable alternative. But conservatives deeply care about the planet. You think about where conservatives live. It's in rural areas. It's in mountain areas. It's in some of the most beautiful landscapes. And I grew up in a state, Wisconsin, where everything revolved around the great outdoors. They didn't talk about climate change, but they would do absolutely anything to protect their local lake, river, or the places that they hunt. That's the sort of connection that conservatives have. And if we can draw that to climate change, then they care more. But they've been so drawn to the political side of it that they're not willing to engage. And that's where the divide has come from. Now, now what about the liberal solutions or progressive solutions do you think that folks on your side object to? I think it's just the fact that a lot of times, and now I live in Seattle where I see this every single day when I'm back home, which is people in the urban areas tend to try to create rules and policies for rural areas, and they've never even been to those places. And so if you live in rural Washington and every single law and policy is coming from Seattle, it's not going to represent you. And those sorts of things have manifested themselves into large regulatory barriers for people out in rural areas, uh, you know, larger taxes, you know, trying to talk about transportation in like this electric vehicle way when, you know, they drive a truck that's that they've had since the mid 1990s. And they're like, I can't have a Tesla. I, I you know, haul manure, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. And so there, those sorts big of things, big, big disconnect. huge disconnect. And that's really where the problem comes from. Can you give me an example of the kind of regulations that you've heard about that if you're a farmer or a rancher or if you're fishing or hunting, the kind of regulations that really just drive people nuts? A really good example that I hear time and time again in rural communities is the Endangered Species Act. Every conservative in a rural area wants to protect endangered species. They care about them a lot because they find nature to be beautiful. But when there is a hawk on their property that is an endangered species and the government finds out about it, they can take some sort of control over the land. They're not going to own it, but they're going to be able to have rights over what happens to that animal on the property. And so there is this philosophy of shoot, bury, shut up. Shoot the endangered animal, bury it, and then shut up. They don't want to shoot the animal, but they would rather shoot the animal than have the government come in and tell them what to do with their property. And there's all sorts of rules around that. So not only are you hurting the environment, but you're also putting you know these more rural people in this position that they don't want to be in. And I don't condone that, but that's where the problems come from. And it's and that doesn't mean Endangered Species Act is not necessary. It's just how do we make that more friendly to the communities that are going to be responsible for the success or not? Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself. 
at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, you can team up with friends in Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Where you can meet talking flowers. Life's full of surprises. And where piranha plants sing. And where Mario, Luigi, and Peach turn into elephants. Wowie zowie! And where this announcer turns into a... Super tiny announcer! <laughs> That's not in the game. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little excited. Nintendo Switch, the home of Mario and friends. Game rated E for everyone. Game and systems sold separately. I think some common ground in Michelle might be, uh, I think folks in our communities often don't feel that the government represents us either, that there's some, some big disconnects. And yet, um, I think for liberals and progressives, you know, we tend to feel more that, at least on you know, these questions around you know, public health, asthma, lead, pollution, that individual action is not enough and maybe the corporations won't do the right thing. And so government is a more logical solution for this side of the table. You know, regulations mean something else and evoke different images for folks on the left, especially environmental justice communities where, you know, you've got black and brown bodies living in neighborhoods where the dirtiest sources of pollution are consistently cited. And so those communities want to see regulations. But I think what I've learned from working with folks like Benji is that not all regulations are, are good. Not all government is good. Not all business solutions are good. And so we're trying to really figure out where is the reasonable space that we actually need to fix, you know, what's broken without messing up what isn't broken and repairing some of the harm that's been done. And I identify a lot, I think, with some of the things that Benji said in terms of feeling like a misfit or left behind, left out of the movement as a Latina myself uh, growing up. And entering the space, I actually, from the outside looking in, didn't think the environmental movement was for me. I really thought it was for white hippie tree huggers. And I lived in California and I still thought it was very granola. <laughs> um, and, you know, what I cared about was social justice, racial justice. And, um, you know, when I came to Green for All, I found a, a different kind of home because we really are at the intersection of the environmental stuff, but also economic justice and racial justice. Conservation to me means saving money. You know, I remember my parents saying, like, if I took too long to open the refrigerator and decide what I was getting, you know, it's not a television. <laughs> Close the door, turn off the lights. But it was about, you know, being conscious of, of the pocketbook, you know, when families are trying to make ends meet. And so I think that there's a lot of climate solutions that actually address emissions, but that also help families who are struggling in our country save money on energy, right? Have a better quality of life. And so that's really what this is about for me. As you guys began to work together, what are some of the things that you learned, Benji, that maybe you wouldn't have known had you not been working, you know, hand in glove for almost a year and a half with folks on the other side? And I want to hear the same thing from you, Michelle, because again, I think people who are listening to this podcast, um, most people were so polarized, they're on one side or the other. What's a takeaway for a Thanksgiving dinner moment that you're so glad that you're working across the aisle because you're, you're smarter, better about something? Absolutely. I think that the, the pinnacle of it has been on the racial justice issue. Ever since, you know, Michelle and I have known each other, this conversation of racial justice has only heightened and, and for good reason. And I was really unaware of a lot of the impacts that climate change had on low income minority communities and just minority communities in general uh, in some of the most, you know, drastic of ways that I just had not even conceptualized. Like what? 
the the placement of pollution centers near black and brown communities. That was something I had no idea about. And I think that is something where it was ignorance on my part, and I didn't realize it until you brought it to me. But the key to changing my mind on it was being open to listening. And I think five or ten years ago, I wouldn't have been open to listening. But we've gotten to this political moment where no one's listening. And I'm so sick of no one listening that I've started to listen more. And now I'm open to listening to that idea from Michelle. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's true. That's crazy. And it's, and it's, and it's something that now I think about all the time. I, I think um, you know, listening is like the new superpower. I mean, when you've got so much division, everybody's screaming and yelling and people are figuring out, like, how do I get more virality on my tweets and how do I get this and that? Everybody's figuring out how to communicate out. People aren't learning how to listen. People are learning how to talk louder. They're not learning how to listen better. Michelle, again, you come off the progressive left side in, in California on the left coast. What have you learned working with Benji and his crew that you think is invaluable? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, some on the on the right are genuine about that they aren't against climate change. They're just not on board exactly with the solutions that have been put forth. You know, one of the things was around electric vehicles, for instance, right? I learned that we actually do want an electric vehicle charging infrastructure that reaches both rural communities and urban poor neighborhoods. Um, but some of these materials, though, for the batteries are being mined in places like China and whatnot. And, you know, conservatives really want to keep these jobs here in the United States. Well, I think that's great, right? We need jobs for our people as well. Um, and when we think about where we're doing the mining and how we're doing the mining, right, when I heard from conservatives that we need to look into alternatives to uranium or things like that, you know, I'm for figuring out if there are alternative solutions that maybe have a less ecological impact on the communities in which these places, these things are going to be mined. That's something we actually should learn from our environmental justice past. You know, lithium, if, if we become over-reliant on lithium, uh, which comes from overseas, that could make us vulnerable. So it's good that conservatives are raising that question. And it turns out that sodium can be a replacement. And so we got pl- plenty of salt water here. And so, you know, as we begin to listen to each other, it turns out you take one point of view, the other point of view, you put it together. You get a synergy that's better, a, a, you know, a more abundant material, sodium, much more abundant than lithium, can create jobs here, can have the next revolution in battery technology happen here because we're talking to each other. Yeah, and I think what we learned is that we can't ever get to that real conversation as long as we're talking past each other. So it took some time, you know, I think just to create a non-judgmental conversation around it. And that, you know, to lead means to go first. You taught me that, Van. And if we want people to be more empathetic, we need to be more empathetic and we need to open our hearts more and we need to be vulnerable and we need to be willing to lay our cards down um, and put our trust in someone that we're not sure (laughs) if we can trust yet or not um, and see where it goes. And I have just been blown away honestly, by just the empathy and open heartedness that I've seen from folks on the other side. Um, But, you know, we learned some of the buzzwords, you know, they would ask, you know, well, what exactly do you mean by just transition? We hear this word all the time from progressives. What does that actually mean? Or when we talk about home weatherization, some people were like, weatherization? What is that? Do you mean, and of course, this was right after the Texas superstorm, and they thought winterize. Oh, we need to winterize like our energy systems and stuff. And we were saying, no, weatherize your home, right? Bring down your energy bill, more insulation, that sort of thing. And so as we learned to get out of the buzzwords, we could have a real conversation. Yeah, I think just one quick add there is there's two things that make good solutions, in my opinion. One is authenticity. You have to be authentic about what you're fighting for. And Van, things you fought for are authentic, right? And and you get things done that way because you don't 
rest, you want to get the solution. And the second thing is finding overlap and common ground. The best solutions in history have come when both sides or more than two sides converged to come up with whatever that common sense sound policy solution was. We aren't seeing either one of those in politics today, authenticity or finding common ground. Michelle and I have shared a lot of authenticity and common ground, and that's what makes us so successful. Well, listen, I um, I appreciate getting a chance to, to be at the same table with you guys, and hopefully this table will get bigger and bigger over time with your leadership, and uh, we'll keep talking. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. You know, when I listen to Michelle and Benji talking and I and I see the relationship that they have built, what I know for sure is that a lot more is possible. You know, if a young conservative and a young progressive can figure out ways to get something done on climate solutions, which is, again, one of the most divisive issues, there's a lot more that we can do. And we're going to come back next week and I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to talk to the head of the coal miners union and talk with him (laughs) one-on-one about what we could do to get us closer to climate solutions, to get us closer to the kind of of answers that can bring people together, even an environmentalist like myself and the the leader of the coal miners. (laughs) This is how committed I am to the idea that a lot more is possible, even things that we might think are impossible. Stuff's possible when we listen to each other, when we talk to each other. And I got tremendous inspiration from Michelle and Benji in this conversation. And I guarantee you next week, you're going to get as much or even more when I get a chance to talk with Cecil Roberts. This is Van Jones, and you're listening to Uncommon Ground. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Adesua Agbanile, Sundus Hassan Noli, and Lindsay Cradlewell. Our managing producers are Lauren D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Morais, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkneen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jacobin. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. 
I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.